Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU, and you wouldn't like me when I'm podcasting because today oh, we're going to be talking boy. about the Incredible Hulk. waste it. The Incredible Hulk. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. Don't and waste the fun stuff. No, we're going to do it about 50 more times. Uh, that's yeah. what I'm worried about. That's what so I'm worried we about. are making our way through the phase one of MCU, the first couple of films. Last week, we did Iron Man. We talked about that. This week, we are going to be talking about The Incredible. What is your question right off the bat? I haven't even started. He's what is going on? You wouldn't like me when I'm hand raising. What the fuck? Uh, sir, who's picking this order? This is so fucking fucking random this isn't even in chronological order like we didn't start with blade we we we're doing incredible hulk instead of hulk like what the fuck man pete pete so much to talk to you about yeah so yeah. first of all we talked about this in the last podcast but it's really interesting to me that you're trying to erase mahershala ali <laughs> who is you, the official blade you, of the mcu it's you, wild to me right off it's the bat. not the official uh, uh it's kind it's of interesting re- to me it sounds like you don't like acting, him as an actor and you're not you're looking forward like to the, the new first blade, blade doesn't exist wesley sipes doesn't exist to you this is completely derailing the podcast here and yes not interesting. and also i'm upset because yes, i rented also, shut up i hate you <laughs> and incredible hulk because i didn't know what you were watching and i had to fucking watch both I started the Incredible Hulk. Oh. I was like, "Oh no, this oh, is." Oh, is your texting machine not working anymore? <laughs> yeah, I'll <laughs> you couldn't text your friends to ask me, "Hey, which of the two movies is the I'm one that makes sense for the other one?" I'm not going to give you that fucking moment where you could be like, "You dumbass, Pete." We're doing Incredible Hulk. Not yeah, I'll see it live for the podcast. Thanks, I'll, Pete. Also, Pete, I, you are horribly punished by doing something you probably would have done anyway. Watch a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. Angry Hulk, Tommy Boy. Incredible Hulk, Tommy Boy. That's why, sca- why we got we Saturday talk about right Ang- there. Why can't That's we talk about diet. Ang Lee Hulk? Why, why did you skip We're definitely over going the- to talk about Ang Lee Hulk because it ties in if you had just waited a second for the introduction. So Incredible Hulk came out June 13th, 2008. This is two months after Iron Man came out and destroyed box office records. Interestingly, Incredible Hulk, as many people could probably predict if you didn't know already, did not do quite as well as the box office. I think it's still the lowest grossing MCU movie of all time. But it was directed by Louis Leterrier. It was written asterisk by Zach Penn. And the reason I put the asterisk mm-hmm. there is there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on with star Edward Norton. Reports varied in terms of how much he tackled the script or not. In previous movies, specifically American History X, which is a fantastic movie, he tackled a lot of that script and rewrote a lot of that. Here, he reportedly did the same, didn't end up with a writing credit. You can see a vague, I think it's Edward Harrison or Edward Hawson or something like that on some of the posters. But ultimately, the WGA ruled in favor of Zach Penn, getting the sole writing credit there. But this led to a lot of behind-the-scenes consternation uh, that ended up in the press. And since this was back in 2008, it was a very early internet, but even then I can remember people going back and forth. Who said who? Did people fight on set? And this leads into something uh, that we have a fun archive surprise for you all at the end of the podcast. Ooh. Back in 2008, in April, at New York Comic Con, we were hosting video interviews for Newsarama at the time, uh, and sure. they brought Incredible Hulk to Comic Con since it was at April, uh, and we set up an interview. Justin, you and I did this one. We sort of mm-hmm. rotated as we went through the interviews. Because um, he, was he, he was screaming about Blade on the floor, I believe. At that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was out there in Ardis Alley in the streets talking to the people while you guys were up in the hoity toity skybox. Yeah. And there was a That's young right. man That's- named Mahershala Ali who was passing along and was like, Blade, you say? Sounds interesting. Maybe I should take a look <laughs> Maybe at Maybe I that. should look into that. So we did an interview for Incredible Hulk. First of all, surprising to me that they weren't touring around Iron Man at that point in April. Instead, they were touring around Incredible Hulk. But uh, I guess they had to do a little bit of damage control there. I remembered us doing this interview. 
but I had forgotten the participants. Yeah, exactly, because I was thing. like, yeah, we, we did that. Tim Roth is who we talked to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, and I remembered Louis Leterrier because yeah. I have stuck in my brain the one thing which is not in the interview that, spoiler, but we're going to roll this out at the end of the podcast so you can listen to the full thing. Uh, but I remember very specifically talking to Louis Leterrier about the soundtrack for it, the score for it, and he said, oh, it is a Star Wars-level score. I can't wait for wow. people to hear it. To the point that he loved it so much, he essentially forced Marvel or, I guess, Universal to release a two-disc set of the entire score, which even surprised the composer Craig Armstrong, where he was like, really? Why would you want to do that? But Disc? (laughs) I keep, every time you say that name, I think you're going to say Louis the Terrier. That's what it means in French. A way to translate that, Mr. LePage. Peter LePage. I remember Tim Roth, remember Louis Le Terrier. I didn't remember the two producers there. One of those, Gail Ann Hurd, who people probably know at this point from Walking Dead. Uh, This is even pre-Walking Dead at that point, which is wild to think about. But she had done Terminator, she had done Alien, she had done uh, so many other movies. But the other guy that I completely forgot to the point of watching this video and being like, wait, is that? Is that? No, that has to be wrong. Kevin Fage, (laughs) as we probably called him back then. It was Kevin Feige. And uh, thinking back, it had to be like, what is this random producer here doing here? What's going on? But now, of course, he's Kevin Feige. And at that point, they hadn't launched the MCU. Nobody knew really who he was. Uh, yeah. And he's just sitting there chatting about it. And this video, if you're watching this on video, got you got to watch it on video. You see all of us young people. They've changed so much. We grew tiny beards, technically, <laughs> and that's about it. So there's a lot of stuff that you get to really take in on this. Uh, you're yeah, going to so- see our interview style um, in evolution. Exactly. And just a warning, since it is 2008 video, maybe the audio quality is not 100% the best, but I still think it's fun to check out. And um, I liked hearing a lot of that information, particularly pre, now that we know the movie and the impact of it. Um, So there's a lot to talk about here. I wrote down way too many notes behind the scenes things, because I'll be honest with you, we talked about this beforehand after we were recording Iron Man. Pete, who claims to have forgotten which Hulk we were talking about, said, why are we going to talk about that? Are we just going to hate on that movie? At the time, I said, well, honestly, I like the Harlem fight because that was before watching this again. That's what clicked. I'm watching this, the Ang Lee one, and I'm going, wait a second. And your voice in my head goes, yeah, I like the Harlem fight. I'm like, I'm watching the goddamn wrong movie. (laughs) I want to hear more about this voice in your head, Pete. Mm, yeah, Alex yeah. is just in there like a little Jiminy 24/7, Cricket. Baby. Yeah, just uh, just constantly. So before we get into my... specifics about the movie or any of the trivia or anything like that, uh, the main takeaway that I had, uh, the point I was bringing this up, is my memory of the movie. Uh, seeing it at, I think it was at the Marvel Friends and Family screening in New York. Big reaction to everything. Those were the perfect screenings to see things at because everybody got everything. Uh, And I remember being blown away by the Harlem fight, absolutely loving it, being like, this is great. The rest of the movie's fine, but this is great. Watching it again, that was the weakest part of the movie for me, honestly. And there were other points that I really enjoyed a lot more. Some of the weird character choices, some of the action scenes were actually pretty good versus the Harlem fight at the end felt like, all right, we've seen better CGI figures fighting at this point and it's not the best stage thing, but I, I don't, my big takeaway here is I don't think this movie is a total loss. I don't mind parts of it and I liked watching it again. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, I remember liking Ed Norton as the Hulk even. Obviously, that was Mm -hmm. before we got uh, Mark Ruffalo and before the tone of Marvel movies sort of came into full focus. This movie is much more self-serious and sort of like austere, almost like you can Mm -hmm. see you could feel Ed Norton being like, look, look at me. I'm doing this. (laughs) Um, And almost sort of like the Bill Bixby Hulk show in the way that it sort of tells the story. Well, it does a little homage in the beginning. Uh, and it feels like that goes throughout in a lot of the way where it's like this sort of melancholy, melodramatic uh, Bruce Banner, just like making it, trying to hide, making his way through the world. He ends, he starts in a, a place where he doesn't want to be and ends up in a place where he's still wandering. Um, but there were, I think retroactively, I like that you liked different parts going back because I think in the moment everyone was down on it because Iron Man was so good and so hot. 
And then looking back, all the other Marvel movies are so good and so hot. And this movie sort of feels like a weird sore thumb sticking mm-hmm. out. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Alex. I like parts of this movie. What about you, Pete, having seen a movie and a half to prep for this podcast? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, like, I appreciate the fact that this one starts, like, uh, kind of where we are Hulk-wise right now, where Hulk is a little bit more horror-oriented. Like it has the comics, a men- you mean? Yes, yeah. It has a little bit more menacing kind of uh, music as the movie starts. And Soundtrack. You, yeah, and it also, like, you know, Star like, we Wars kind level. of... See, you know, take it easy with that. But see the uh, kind of like it's more of a villain setup, which is very interesting. Whereas the Ang Lee uh, start uh, was a little bit more uh, kind of funner, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the start of it. Also, we had the kind of Marvel flip, uh, which had the comics in there. And I missed that. I missed mm-hmm. the title card with just the comics and not the live action stuff. Uh, so, I look, Pete, I love whatever you prepare for a podcast, even if you prepare the wrong things, you still make sure it. to talk. You still make sure it. to talk about it. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the Ang Lee movie throughout the whole thing. So buckle up. I, I'm here. I'm here to um, throw the discus in the Olympics, but <laughs> I also want to shoot a gun into the sky on skis. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. I do not care. It is actually a good place to start because the thing that's interesting about the Ang Lee movie is that... Uh, I, I think that's gained critical mass over time as people have realized it's very weird, but it's very interesting at the same time. It is. Yeah. But this was supposed to be not exactly a complete clean reboot of the Ang Lee version. There are actually points that Sam Elliott was interested in returning as General Ross. They tried yeah, that to was get a Eric mistake. They not tried to get Eric Sam Bono back, back, and Eric Bono was like, nope, not coming back, not in a million years, not doing that. My uh, name's too similar to Bruce Banner, I can't do this And part anymore. of the reason you were mentioning the beginning of the movie here, where we get this montage that sets up the Hulk's origin story, yeah, which is part nice. of large part of that was because they had the Ang Lee version, they felt like we don't need to do the same thing again. People know what the Hulk's which. origin is, let's skip through it. However, the little uh, sub-point here is there are apparently at least 70 minutes of deleted scenes from this movie. Both Edward Norton and Louis Leterrier wanted it to be a solid two and a half hours or longer. And the studio said, no, you absolutely have to do it less than two hours. Do not do that under any circumstances. So there's about 35 minutes of footage that an editor, the same editor who did the Marvel flip, edited down to that sequence that you see at the beginning. So that wasn't a montage that they filmed. That was an entire half hour of the movie that never ended up in it. Well, either way, I appreciate the fact we didn't have to sit through an origin story uh, again. You know what I mean? I thought it was smart being like, hey, you're a Marvel fan. You've probably seen this shit. You know this shit. So let's just roll. So I did uh, very much appreciate that. And I want to just talk about Sam Elliott real quick. That stash that Sam Elliott has. I mean, that's General Ross's stash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you recast that, I was like, I don't care how many times you say this guy. They brought back the stash. Same For stash. William Hurt, yeah. They, they, it's cast. not the same stash, and you know <laughs> same that. Stash. You don't make that joke. Same stash, they grew William Hurt out of it. You know, didn't work. Mm. Didn't work, yeah. That's a little-known fact. He's just sort of a misshapen clone of Sam Elliott. Yeah. Now, and the was, other thing that they cut oh, out of here, out of the beating... Oh, yes, what were you going to say, Justin? No, Pete has like 45 more minutes on Sam yeah, Elliott. I was gonna say, <laughs> he yeah, wants yeah, to break I, down I, the <laughs> beef it's what's for dinner commercials as <laughs> Thunderbolt Ross. <laughs> The yeah, other I, thing that's really interesting, I think, about the beginning, there's a whole slew of deleted scenes that were on the DVD. You can find them on YouTube, of course. Somebody very helpfully put them in an entire half-hour chunk. This is not the origin stuff, uh, and we'll get to some of the other things, I think, later on. But the one that is most interesting is there was an alternate opening scene that they cut because it was too dark. It was actually Bruce Banner going to the Arctic going all the way onto a glacier, pulling out a gun and he's going to commit suicide. And as he's about to shoot himself, the Hulk stops him. He turns into the Hulk and it smashes the gun. And then the Hulk smashes the ice and it crashes and the wave comes over and that's what they would do. Crash the title. And everybody said, Ooh, that is too dark. Do not do that. And instead they started the way that they start. This that is a be, kids movie. Yeah. <laughs> Psychopaths. That, that would be interesting. It would be really cool if Hulk smashed the ice and Captain America came up and Hulk went down. That would have been cool. That but, is exactly what happened, Pete. Yeah. 
No, no, no. I'm not even joking. There was really? 100%. It's nearly impossible to find until you, unless you have somebody who has already done a still frame. But he smashes the ice. The ice rushes. And there's like one frame where they had a very shady Captain America who is in the ice there oh, with the shield wow. and frozen and everything. That and the other hilarious. thing that's a little interesting about this scene is Mark Ruffalo actually refers to it in Avengers and talks about it as the darkest point that he got to. So even though it doesn't actually yeah. exist in this movie, it still weirdly ties into the MCU anyway. The fact that t- the MCU is able to tie in deleted scenes into their main storyline, <laughs> baller. Yeah, and it does seem like this movie did benefit from learning from the mistakes of the Angley. Like they don't fight a smoke monster at the end. Mm-hmm. Like they're not. They make jokes about the you know boxer shorts that somehow stayed on uh, Hulk uh, during the first. So like there were things that yeah. they were like, oh okay, we can learn from this. Because you're a big believer in the Hulk should be fully nude all the time because he would blow out of those clothes. Well, I mean, the fact that like they cut to the Hulk and the Ang Lee one, he's, the socks were still on. I was like, those the socks don't grow. That's like, in, in, you know, but like, I don't want him to be fully nude, but I do appreciate Pete, is, that. Is your, 1000, is your 1,000th tweet uh, thread on Twitter still there where you really get into this and, <laughs> and shout about it the appropriate amount that it needs to be shouted about? Yeah. So this was another big thing that they did with the movie that you can see throughout uh, to the point that Pete is making where they were trying to make it diametrically opposite from the Ang Lee version is they wanted to lean a little more into the action. They wanted to lean more into the horror, like you were saying, Justin. And I think this is actually the biggest thing to its detriment is they were holding it back to the Bill Bixby version, which is a great version of the Hulk. It's a great TV show, but stylistically, it makes this movie in my mind, feel like one iteration back of superhero movies. It's sort of of the mode of the Spider-Man movies, X-Men movies versus this quantum leap forward that Iron Man was for the MCO. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I think this movie sticks out so much. It's like that adaptation that doesn't quite nail it. Um, And it's just amazing. They were able to do it with the next iteration of the Hulk so quickly. Um, And, it also shows why there just hasn't been another Hulk movie, which I, I think we all desperately want. It feels like he's gotten short, short shrift. Well, there's a bunch of reasons for that. The reason yeah. that they haven't done a Hulk movie. The biggest thing is the rights, which are complicated and not public at all. So it's very hard to talk about them in, other than in speculative rumors. But at the time, and you guys probably noticed this and anybody who rewatched it probably noticed this, but it was made by Marvel Studios, but it was released by Universal. Also, we didn't really talk about this with Iron Man, but the Disney Marvel sale didn't go through until 2009. So those first couple of movies were all released by Paramount. They didn't have a movie studio to release with until Disney bought them. And I think it's Avengers, the first one that has both the Disney and Paramount logos, if I remember correctly. But I guess when we get to Avengers, we'll revisit that. And then going forward, it's just Disney. Universal holds all the distribution rights to Hulk, and they have for years. So... Marvel is able to use the character. They're able to put the character in things. But in terms of actually releasing the movie, that's up to Universal to do. There were rumors recently that the rights reverted. Nobody has said publicly anything about that. But the thing that also makes it tricky, not to get too deep into the weeds, but Marvel made these massive, super messy, super terrible deals decades earlier to sell off all the rights of almost all their characters to absolutely everybody, including the Hulk. They made a, uh, I would say, terrible deal with Universal for theme parks where they said, yeah, you could use all of our uh, superhero characters in your theme parks. Go for it. So you go to Universal Islands of Adventure, all of those superhero characters there. Disney can't actually use the Marvel name at Walt Disney World or anyone that's in a certain mile radius of a Universal park which is why when you go to Disney World or Disneyland or anything like that, it's called Avengers Campus versus Marvel World or anything like that. So all of those rights, as far as I'm aware, are all weirdly tied together. And that, beyond anything else, is actually probably the biggest reason they haven't done a Hulk thing, because they don't want to give Universal any of the money. Sony made deals for Spider-Man. Fox got bought by Disney. But Universal is still this outlier. And really, as far as I know, all they have is weirdly Hulk and Namor the Submariner. And that's Wolf. it. Those I mean, great cows. stash, great stash. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to have ankles on wings on their ankles in the next couple of summers. Once yeah. that Namor movie hits. 
So that was our big business section. Let's move on and instead talk about the movie. Let's talk about, uh, since we've kind of talked about it, a bit of the backstory, talk about some of the things you like, sequences that you thought were interesting or fun watching this again. Pete, well, for yeah, this the, version, not the Ang Lee version. Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, no problem. But since you're I mean, dick- you say it's like I'm crazy to spe- uh, specify, but... No, well, since you're <laughs> going to be a dick about it, I'm going to uh, go against your wishes. Um, the worst, good good the lesson. Dogs. There were some really beautiful shots in the a- Ang Lee version of Hulk doing the jump <laughs> that I really appreciated. But Desert. in this, I was looking forward to the Harlem fight. Like, that to me was what, like the kind of build up to that fight and having like a Hulk versus abomination was fun. And you know, like the CGI is so much better now, but it wasn't awful. I mean, there was some weird moments where like the actor was like, uh, they used like a fake body, uh, Tim Roth. They kind of like beefed him up. That was a weird part, but overall, like the double jump at once, I still, when I see that, get very excited. Yeah. What about uh, you, Justin? I mean, I love the. I think Tim Roth is great in this movie. I love the the use of the leader um, mm-hmm. building up yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I thought was very cool, and that's the kind of Hulk world that I want to get into. And like you, Pete, you mentioned it, the comics right now are using it's such a horror model. If they yeah. could, when they eventually get the Hulk his own, if we get through the business stuff that Alex just mentioned, a Hulk movie that really leans into that side of it, I think with the leader would be just awesome. Also, the Hulk looks a little bit like that because it's like when we see him, he's more veiny and more mm-hmm. kind of like grotesque. So, it's um, I mean, a couple of little notes about that. One, the look was specifically taken from Dale Keough and the comic book artist where they were trying. I don't know. This is a very weird quote I read from Louis Leterrier, where I think he called uh, the Angley Hulk a little too chunky. Where I was like, well, okay, wow. that's fine. He seems strong. Shaming. He's in better shape than I am, so I'm not yeah. going to make any criticism. Uh, but this one, they wanted to make it all muscle, like a tank, like a bodybuilder. That's what they're looking for. So they looked to Del uh, Keown for that. Um, and, oh gosh, what was the other thing that I was going to say? I don't even remember. Sorry. I'll was it about later. the leader? Oh, it was about the leader, actually. Nice, Justin. Uh, specifically about the Mr. Blue stuff, his which I thought was really yes. interesting. Love so, that. The leader, Sam Stearns, is Mr. Blue, and the Bruce Banner is Mr. Green. This is taken right from the Bruce Jones run on the Hulk, which is awesome and underrated. I honestly completely forgot about until I watched the movie again this time, and I'm really glad I did remember because so good, so interesting. But the thing that I thought was so interesting about this in particular is versus Iron Man, this actually really set up a pattern of the MCU movies pulling on very recent storylines. Because the Bruce Jones run came out, I think, early 2000s, and then they pretty much turned it around put it here in Incredible Hulk. And that's another model that they've done going forward. It's not just these old storylines. It's things like Winter Soldier down the road that was very recent before that, or a lot of the stuff they're doing in the Thor series. I agree. I I love that too, the way they're able to, in this movie and others, like look at everything and be like, how does all of this stuff, how do all these big runs or interesting runs fit together? And to pull on, I mean, this movie also sort of, it has like almost a born identity vibe to mm-hmm. it, especially in the, from the beginning um, of the movie. And then bringing in the sort of filmy film noir side of the, the Bruce Jones run, I think makes for a, again, tonally weird uh, movie when it comes to the rest <laughs> of the Marvel uh, cinematic universe, but it stands alone by itself as sort of an interesting little weird uh, notch of it. Yeah. I, I also really liked how like, the you know you won't like me when i'm hungry kind of line that made fun of a little bit of the ang lee thing uh was great but also just you know hangry is a real thing and i'm glad mm-hmm. that this movie was talking about it you know what i mean well speaking of eating things what do you think about the important plot point where stan lee drinks blood yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that, that I mean, was interesting and this was one, I mean, we we talk a lot about Stanley's cameo. This was actually just a documentary as the camera <laughs> caught him doing that because he subsisted exclusively on blood for uh, a lot of his life, ever since the 70s. And yeah. uh, speaking of cameos, we did like in Ang Lee's get both Stanley and Lou Ferrigno. So it was nice that they kind of kept that uh, uh, as well. Yeah, that's Stanley's scene. I mean, not to harp on it too much. That is the weirdest thing I maybe not the weirdest thing in the MCU, but I had completely eradicated that from my memory and watching this again. I was like, Oh, now I remember why that's upsetting that Edward Norton bleeds into a soda bottle. It goes to the United States 
and then Stanley drinks it. That's weird. That's a weird choice. I mean, I the, as a stand to put Stanley there is. I think that's a fun. I don't know. I'm I'm here. I'm here for it. It's mostly the drinking the blood and the soda because that makes me very worried about soda going forward. How much well, of our soda know, has human blood in it? Alex, if you start to do research on this, you will not want to eat almost uh, anything because there's a certain <laughs> amount. What is it like rat hair in oh, uh, chocolate? Like there's some crazy high amount that, that is allowed. I mean, I ask for it by name. Can I yeah, get the yeah. dark chocolate rat hair, please? Exactly. Smart. Rat sees pieces is what you you eat. Let's. Oh, we've talked about some of the characters. We didn't really talk about Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky slash Abomination. What do you think about him as a villain? In the movie, I did like the kind of matchup that we had of like little quick guy versus big Hulk. Like in that first uh, fight sequence, uh, I thought that was like a cool kind of start. Uh, but overall, like the the fact that it's just like how awful the character got, it kind of fell off for me, and I was like, I really don't don't like this guy at all. I did think it was interesting, like you're saying, Pete, that they we had a multiple iterations of the abomination. Only at the end do we get sort of the abomination we expect, right? And that's sort of a that's a fun choice. Uh, I feel like uh, later Marvel movies wouldn't have done that. They would have been like, make him the guy and then have him fight a couple times or at the end, but not before. Yeah, the look of it also while we're uh, talking about that of the abomination. So in the comic books, he has scales. He's like a lizard skin, snake skin kind of thing going on. They decided not to do that because the origin of Abomination had nothing to do with reptile DNA. So they felt like they could make it a little more fleshy and bony and gross like that. The other thing, which is another crazy quote from Louis Leterrier, is they decided to not give the Abomination ears. Like one of the biggest... Uh, features of the abomination of the comics is he has these fin-like ears coming out of his head. And Louis Leterrier didn't want to give abomination ears because he said, oh, Hulk's go-to move would be biting those ears like Mike Tyson did. Not grabbing them, biting them. Hmm. Which, mind you, Mike Tyson did, I think, once with Evander Holyfield. Twice. Twice? He did it twice? He bit twice. It's his go-to move? Mm Mm-hmm. It's All not right. his go-to, but he did I it apologize twice. to Lewis the Terrier. He was right. Hulk would have done that right off. No, I don't think you have to go that far just because he got the number wrong. I'm really sorry, uh, man. It is weird, Tiff, for him to be like, the person on Earth most like Hulk, Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> like, just the um, ear-biting thing. I mean, maybe he was making a joke about it. I don't know. It was a couple of years ago at this point. But it was just a, it's a weird way of making that choice, I think. Yes. Hulk famous for um, keeping pigeons on his uh, the roof of his Hulk uh, apartment building. Got to clap some pigeons. But like you were saying, Pete, those first two action sequences with Tim Roth really popped a lot more for me this time. The one in the soda factory that's played like a horror movie, the Hulk just popping out yeah. and grabbing people, I thought was really well staged. Also, and good. the yeah. creepy, like, leave me alone voice through mm-hmm. the smoke was cool. And then the – wait, quick question. Pete, did you have a problem with the fact that he didn't say leave Hulk alone instead of – he said leave me alone? That's yeah, weird, that right? is. Well, it's weird now that you say it, but at the time it didn't bother me. And like you're saying, the next sequence on the college campus after Emil Blonsky has been kind of super soldiered up a little bit is really good as well and super fun. Also, the CGI in the daylight didn't look too bad, so that was nice. Yeah. Uh, Let's turn and talk about Liv Tyler as Betty Ross. How did you feel about her performance? I, I felt good about it, especially with Were the, you crazy about it or was it amazing? Well, wow. I, I just think that the the Edward Norton and oh, her crying. Uh, <laughs> won me over. But overall it was I remember uh, when I heard about the casting choice, I was disappointed because I thought uh, Jennifer Connolly did an amazing job in the Ang Lee Hulk. So it was it was just like, hey, we're recasting everybody. So I was like, Okay. They wanted uh, her back too, apparently, and she also said no. Yeah. So there you um, go. I think uh, she, I, I like Liv Tyler. I, I think Betty needs to be like a little more fun or a little more the Betty from the comics that is. And I feel like they've, <laughs> it's been wrong a lot. Um, uh, so like, I, I want someone who's a little bit more like who can stand up to the Hulk. Those are my, I feel like Betty and like the Peter David run and uh, those runs sort of earlier before we get into the film noir and the, all the horror stuff that has come later. Betty is like a, sort of a firebrand and that makes sense to me. That's someone who would go toe to toe with the Hulk um, in a relationship 
relationship and feel like uh, she has some agency. And well, it was go ahead, Pete. I did like the depiction of Hulk, like when him and uh, Betty were hanging out in the a big rainstorm, and when like the thunder would happen, Hulk would get angry and throw rocks at the sky. That was awesome, and it was also very interesting that you saw like a purple or grayish Hulk because of the different lighting. Mm-hmm. So that got me a little nerdy, excited, like oh my god, turn into fucking gray Hulk. That would be sick. Well, that scene, I, I agree. I really like that scene as well. Uh, that is well shot. It's well acted. Uh, that is not exactly, but pretty much directly from Hulk Gray by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. There's the yeah. same sort of scene where he shouts at the lightning there. Um, and that really does feel like old school Hulk in the right way. Uh, so I agree. That's good. It's also a bummer, regardless of what I think about Liv Tyler, that they haven't brought Betty back in any way throughout the MCU. It's... Yeah. It's a very silly thing to say, but everybody's gotten their girlfriends to come back in different movies. Not the Hulk. He doesn't get one. Very sad. Well, and and we get the the uh, Black Widow Hulk sort of relationship that, yeah, that never really gets to where it feels like a thing. It's just in the. Well, maybe in the Black Widow movie, we'll get some, though, so. Mm. That feels even weirder to go back (laughs) (laughs) retrofit that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, other notes, I have a bunch of Easter egg and things I've written down here, but anything in particular you guys want to talk about before I start rattling through those? Well, well we were talking about the kind of uh, the campus uh, fight scene, and I did really like the way that they kind of showed those sound waves like going against Talk. That was a kind of a mm-hmm. real badass shot. And then also in the Harlem fight sequence, which great to see a little Apollo theater there, and, and Hulk didn't trash it or the abomination, so I was very happy about that. But the like using the car is like Hulk hands, like seeing the Hulk use Hulk hands was just, oh, that was really. He's just like us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't the Hulk hands come out of this movie? Yeah. Weren't I think they the, did, yeah. Which yeah. So, was Jesse that's Falcon, a, right? That's a cultural, yes. Our, our guy, Jesse Falcon, uh, UCB improviser um, and uh, Marvel toy, uh, I don't know, impresario. He sure. somehow manages that line. The Hulk hands came out of this movie and were truly the biggest cultural impact of this movie, I think. <laughs> that is 100% true. The funny, it's funny that you call out the Harlem fight and getting to see the Apollo there, because even though they shot in New York City, the Harlem fight was one of the only things they did not shoot in New York yes. City. I could they tell sh- because the way they shot, showed the street, it went like... Uh, Apollo, and then a bunch of places that weren't next to where a the bunch Apollo of places is. that are very specifically in Toronto. Like yeah, there's a place exactly. called Zanzibar that's uh, <laughs> a Toronto landmark, and you're like, yeah. what, Wait, what are you what? doing here? You're not yeah. fooling yeah. anybody. Come on, exactly. The fake New York stuff. It was like the when they wanted to go down the subway, and they just had a subway map, <laughs> uh, just not like it, yeah, where, what station it is or what street or just a subway map behind them. But I love the joke of like you want the Hulk, you know, like me to go into the stress tube with all these crazy New Yorkers. That's a fun bit. If I remember correctly, that played very well with the New York crowd at the Marvel (laughs) screening. Yeah. That's one thing that I think Marvel has gotten right since this movie is like, let's be authentic about things. If don't fake it, because people will know. Uh, Yeah. That's internet culture, though, that's changed. Yeah. Uh, So I'll start running through some stuff and you guys interrupt me if there's anything you want to talk more about. Uh, Never. I would never. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, Other than writing, Norton apparently also directed some scenes, including a lot of the college campus scenes while Louis Leterrier was off directing the second unit, which is very weird. Very weird. Not doesn't happen ever, (laughs) I would argue. Let me just step into the old director's chair. I'm also the star. Bye. Yes. Uh, In terms of the casting thing, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but Norton was actually recommended by Lou Ferrigno, who thought he would be a really good Bruce Banner. So that's how they kind of uh, tucked into him. Uh, But there were a bunch of other Famous casting director, Lou Ferrigno. (laughs) Everybody was all mixed around on this show. Yeah. This movie was all over the place. Revolving door. But apparently, Louis the Terrier's first choice before they convinced him to take Edward Norton was Mark Ruffalo. He wanted him as Bruce Banner, which is how eventually he ended up getting the part. Uh, other actors that they considered for Banner, Matthew McConaughey apparently came in and read at one point. Uh, Dominic right. Purcell, who people probably know from Legends of Tomorrow, would have been wildly wrong. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and David Duchovny. 
Uh, what a there. random group of people. Very weird. F- future uh, Texas governor Matthew McConaughey would have done a great job. This is uh, the movie is chock full of so many different Easter eggs. Uh, and this is another thing. I think you were touching on this earlier, Justin, but I think Marvel has gotten much better at the Easter eggs. This is more old school in terms of like, ah, we're winking at the camera. What's going on? Uh, the two students who take the footage of the Hulk fighting on the college campus are Jack McGee and Jim Wilson. Jack McGee was a reporter who tracks down the Hulk in the TV show. Jim Wilson is Sam Wilson's nephew from the comics who becomes like, Kind of a, one of the classic Hulk buddies, uh, mm-hmm. friend of the Hulk. Um, also, we didn't really talk about Ty Burrell at all, who's this weird element. Right. Who plays Ritter. Leonard Sampson, though? Leonard Sampson, yeah. And if you You're look at the Phil? deleted. What? Bill Dumpy? Is that. That's a. It's another okay. character he plays, but sure. yes. Uh, he eventually becomes Doc Samson. Part of the plan that Norton had when he was rejiggering the script was apparently to set up things like the leader, like Doc Samson, like all of these things. They had all three filled plan that obviously never happened. Uh, but even more than that, if you look at the deleted scenes, there are like literally a solid 15 to 20 minutes of them or Tyra Burrell's plot line that got completely excised from the film entirely. It's a real bummer, but there, there's so many other things going on with him that didn't end up in the final cut. Yeah, I remember seeing, when I first saw this movie, I was like, Leonard Sampson. I was like, oh, not much to say or do. <laughs> uh, this was, uh, I wrote down a couple of notes as well. Uh, one, the start of the movie with the genetics thing going on feels very old school Marvel. Like that's also in line with what they were doing with Spider-Man and the X-Men movies. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, there's while uh, while Edward Norton, while Bruce Banner is looking at the TV, he flips past the courtship of Eddie's father with Bill Bixby. So that's his cameo yep. in the movie. Um, in Ross's office, there's a portrait of Steve Rogers as Captain America. Uh, and there's also a label reading Dr. Reinstein, which is the character from the comics who gives turns him into a super soldier, turns Captain America into a super soldier. For the movies, obviously, they changed it to Abraham Erskine, so it's a little bit different. Um, you mentioned this earlier, Peep, the eyes like the Bixby show. Uh, that green eye effect is right from there. Uh, this is another cameo, Stanley's Pizza. So we have this pizza parlor character named after Stanley, but also it's played by Paul Souls, who has been dozens of voice acting jobs. He was Rick Jones of the Captain America animated series. He was Bruce Banner and Rick Jones of the Hulk animated series. And he was actually Spider-Man and Peter Parker on the original animated series. So he's the first person ever to play Spider-Man, which is kind of neat. That is cool. Stanley getting all these extra cameos. He's just banking. I hope he got money for it. I hope he got an extra bottle of blood soda, something Um, that he loved to drink. Some (laughs) really bothering you. Some more. uh, It's really upsetting. Some fun Hulk stuff that I really enjoyed was we got the Hulk thunderclap in this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also got to hear Hulk say Hulk smash. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was just a magical moment there. Catchphrase. Yeah, apparently the original plan was just to have Lou Ferrigno, who did the voice of Hulk in the movie, say Betty at the end, and that was it. But then they added the Hulk smash and the leave me alone um, just throughout the movie. That's all. Just a little bit of a fun fact. Uh, Did you guys notice Martin Starr eating pizza in the computer lab? Yeah. Yeah. So he loves pizza. He loves pizza famously. Uh, but also Martin Starr plays Spider-Man's teacher in the Spider-Man movies yeah. in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, we got and, to watch him bumble around with a camera, which was really worth a lot of the extra time they spent on that moment. So thank you. <laughs> uh, but retroactively, Kevin Feige has confirmed it is the same character, even though, of course, they didn't mean that in any way whatsoever. Uh, but he went to college there and then he graduated and he started teaching Spider-Man. So there you go. Uh, And the reason he ended up there, this is one of two insane cameos in this movie. I'm curious to see Pete, if you notice the other one. Uh, But the reason this one happened is because Edward Norton's wife worked on Knocked Up, and the role was originally offered to Jason Segel, Jonah Hill, and Seth Rogen, and they all said no thanks until Martin Starr took it. Do you know the other cameo? It's in the Harlem fight scene, Pete. No, you're not talking about the Tony Stark thing. No, I'm talking about Michael K. Williams shows up. And the reason Michael Kenneth Williams shows up as the classic character Harlem Bystander is because Edward Norton was a big fan of The Wire and wrote a part for him. And the part is literally Michael K. Williams running out, looking at the abomination, and then running away. And that's it. Just like he did on The Wire. 
Friends, oh. when you have friends in Hollywood, they step up for you. That's yeah. just yes, what nice. it happens. Uh, there are That's so many nice. other things, but I know we're going to have to move on and talk about some future stuff. Uh, let me just do a quick scad here and see if there's anything else that's important uh, to mention. Oh, uh, Mike Diodato, the artist, comic book artist, created the Hulk face because they hadn't actually cast Edward Norton yet, which is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of, oh, the last thing that I wanted to mention, we should talk about this last scene where Tony Stark walks in. This is the only yes, movie the- where... There is no mid-credit or end-credit scene. It actually happens before the credits here. Yeah. Pete, what did you want to say about this scene? Well, first off, uh, you know, it was the start of it, so it was cool that, like, this kind of set up a give you a little something at the end of the movie. I mean, later they moved past the credits, but it was cool. But also the line where it was like, Tony Stark, you always have a lot of uh, great suits. And then they just kind of looked at each other there, and I was like, oh, I see what you did there. Okay, cool. I I love that scene because it makes no sense. (laughs) Like, yep. <laughs> it's a weird but do you think just it's weird because right they were at just the like camera, look at each other going I, I, because of the, it's I very winky to the point you were saying earlier Alex it was like just just a different vibe all around and I think I think there's either on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or somewhere else they contradict it later on and they're like yeah he shouldn't have said that Tony Stark shouldn't have done that he had no right to do that so they retconned the whole thing but the funniest detail which I never knew about before is General Ross is sitting there drinking right he's drinking an incredible Hulk cocktail which is half Hennessy cognac and half hypnotique which sounds Ooh, like exactly hypnotic, the sort of thing bro. come on yeah. dude hypnotic little, not yeah, hypnotique yeah hypnotic. come on dude Jesus that's you how they say it in the high Hulk? class. <laughs> no. Jesus. Hypnotic is gross. Yes. Uh, it definitely seems it. like the sort of thing a four-star general would go into a bar and order. Why don't we move to the next portion of our podcast, which is our vision board, where we're going to look forward at the future yeah. of the Hulk. We touched on this a little bit with the rights. Obviously, it's a little sketchy in terms of the movie. What were we going to say, Pete? I just wanted to say the one thing that I, one thing that I appreciate about Ed Norton is he felt a little bit more like a nerdy scientist, mm-hmm. like having Eric Bana be this rip dude who's like, I do science. I was like, mm. so I appreciate that. I want to say, and that. I mean, I'll say. Wow. I like Edward Norton better as Bruce Banner than Mark Ruffalo. I'm sorry. What the Ooh. fuck did you just say out loud? Sorry. What? No, you can't say that. That's not. I, that's... I just think he's better at it. No. Wow. No. Well, let me what? let me throw this out. Let me throw this out. I'll, I'll take I'll take a middle course here because I like Mark Ruffalo a lot. But I think the way the place that the Hulk is now, it's like Mark Ruffalo is making fun of the idea of the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's gotten a little too sort of like postmodern watch or whatever, him. where he's like, this is stupid, but I'm still here doing it. Um, <laughs> when it, at least when he, Mark Ruffalo first started, it was he was playing the role. And Edward Norton here is definitely playing the role. Yeah. Well, until that point, I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon, necessarily, because the first item on our vision board is She-Hulk, the TV show that's actually already shooting. It started shooting mid-April and is going reportedly until about August. Stars Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters. Ginger Gonzago is Jessica's best friend. Renee Elise Goldsberry, who people probably know from Hamilton, is playing the part of Amelia. That's really all we know about it, except for the fact that Mark Ruffalo is returning as Bruce Banner the Hulk, and Tim Roth is going to be back either as Emil Blonsky or The Abomination. We're not 100% sure. Uh, But this is a half-hour comedy. There's going to be 10 episodes. And uh, for those who don't know the origin, she is Bruce Banner's cousin. She gets in an accident. She has a blood transfusion from him and turns into a more controllable Hulk. So she's a lawyer by day and a green strong person by night, kind of, is I guess the way to put it. Yes, Pete, did you watch the Ang Lee version of the She-Hulk show? <laughs> yes, I did. yes, I did. Of course I did, because I do a lot of great research. Um, do you think it'll be word for word Charles Soule's uh, run on She-Hulk? I mean, not, no. No. I mean, that was a great it, run. It does at- feel like it is in that world, but they, no way they're going to just do a lift. Well, John Byrne kind of set the mold for funny self-referential She-Hulk, and then that led into Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk, which is I also knew great. you were going to bring up fucking Dan Slott's run. It's a good run of She-Hulk. It's relevant. You talk about She-Hulk without they're talking both, about Dan Slott's they're run. They're both, both good, good runs. They're all good. They're yeah, all, no, I know, but... They're probably pulling on all of them the same way that they pull on every all of the runs of everything. It would be smart if they did it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to that. I WandaVision so was great. I love them going full comedy. I think yes. that's going to be a lot of fun. Who else... Yeah. 
Do you want to see Tim Blake Nelson back as the leader on the show as well? Yeah. And that, I want to see the leader. I don't know if Tim Blake Nelson, he, again, a little bit odd in the way. It's not what I anticipated um, the leader being um, in the long term. So I'm ready. I, I could do a recast on that. I did like the Tim off that we got in this movie. It was a fun Tim versus Tim moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Took me a second to process what you were saying, but I get it now. Nailed it. Uh, So that She-Hulk is coming up. Obviously, we don't know if there's going to be any sequels or where Mark Ruffalo Hulk is necessarily going to turn up past Avengers Endgame other than the show. But the promise is that She-Hulk, the character, will be in more movies. So probably Mark Ruffalo will be in the movies and Hulk as well. And maybe, maybe it'll be another movie. Uh, The last one we should probably talk about, just because we touched on this with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is we've certainly heard rumors that there might be Thunderbolts in development in some way. And though in the comics, they take their name from Justice Like Lightning, hence Thunderbolts, I guess, in... The MCU, it's sort of assumed that they'll probably take their name from General Thunderbolt Ross. So do you think that's a likely possibility? Are we going to see William Hurt leading a team of anti-heroes slash villains? I do think so. And I think my prediction um, on this very podcast was that it's going to be the sequel season, second season of uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier. If they're smart, you bring back the real stash. All right, you go with Sam Elliott. Yeah, start <laughs> with the stash. Hold Sam Elliott down, shave him. Attach no, all can't. that hair. To Don't you dare do that to Sam Elliott. Come you on. You got to get the stash. Were you going to let him shave it? No. You, Once you he shaves it, it's going to run around free. It's a package deal, you assholes. <laughs> okay. Wherever my mustache goes, I go. Oh, don't don't try that. that. Let me say, don't disrespect beef. it. No, that's beef. Don't it's disrespect that. Our dinner. You can't disrespect that man. Vegetables. It should be. <laughs> you should try to eat those more. Hey, now. You, that's a good point, Justin. You should eat vegetables. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we've covered everything that needs to be said about The Incredible Hulk. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we'll be back next week with an episode breaking down Thor, the next movie in the MCU. Which one? Which which Thor are we talking about? I want to just make sure. The old episode of The Incredible Hulk TV show with Thor. That's the one that we're talking about. We want you to read a a book of Norse mythology, (laughs) and that's what we'll be discussing. Uh, So we're going to be talking about that, so definitely check that out. Also hang out towards the end to hear our interview with Tim Roth, Lewis Leterrier, Kevin Feige, and Gail. Just remember while you're watching these two assholes up in the cozy seats, I'm I'm down there on the floor doing the real work. So I got a cheesesteak. That's what you're doing. You're you're waiting for a ribeye sandwich or something at the disgusting concession stand. Right, Pete? Yeah, eat it when you can. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Marvel stuff. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Marvel Vision Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, stay marvelous. Let's talk a little bit about your role in the movie. Uh, how close is it to the character in the comics, and how does it differ? Well, we, we've kind of moved on from the Cold War, so it's, it, 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 he sets himself, he set it in a, in a kind of different world. But he's a, uh, what's he, special ops, with kind of military, military guy, guy that can kind of drop into situations that are rather dangerous. He's a, he's a badass, you can say that. Yeah. 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 I like to chase scientists around. Oh. <laughs> he's quite good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Get vicious. Um, is this the character or are you? Yeah, this is so, this is so, yeah, there you go. Maybe yeah, it's me personally. Yeah. And Lance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And um, so he very, um, he's, he's very tough, but he's come to the end of his kind of, his physical kind of prowess. is is fading now with, with his age and so, oh, and so on. It's okay. Easy, I know. Yeah. <laughs> My wife will catch yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, and then he gets, he, ca- he gets a glimpse of something that's beyond something that is magnificent and, and truly, truly incredible and he wants it and he, he wants it and he, he goes after it and that's, that's my kind of side of the story uh, now you have a very specific take I think on the abomination that's different than how he is in the comic books uh, how did that come about? well I, I, I told these guys I love I love really I love the, the, the abominations design but I couldn't really justify that sort of like reptilian, you know, creature from Black Lagoon on steroid look, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, we, I, I asked them, if, is it okay to, to 
to tweak it a little bit and they said yeah I think we, we can for the movie you know uh, um, so we we decided to make it really an uber human somebody that gets injected and, and there's some you know there's a, a, scene, a scene that ex explains precisely what's happening in the process, how they, you know, how they inject him, and the transformation, and the, and the final look, you know, is a product of that. So, uh, rumor has there's kind of a short little fight scene at the end. Uh, very short, very yeah, short. Right, I mean, over a split second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's a drama, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a steep. Uh, but it's a 26 minute. <clears throat> Well, yeah, that would clarify that. that. <laughs> I'd love to clarify <laughs> I was so drunk that I said that. No, I, I was misquoted. I said it was a 26, 26 minutes final, you know, third act, you know. The fight is pretty long, but it's not 26 minutes. I mean, 26 minutes of fight, I would actually get tremendously bored watching 26 minutes of two monsters fighting for a city. But there's like, well, what do you think I could? And, you know, it's, it's a big brawl. It's, it's a, a solid brawl. brawl. It's a solid, yeah. solid, solid brawl. But it's not like in some of these movies that you know hold it, hold it, hold it, and give it all up at the end right. for like the final fight. We just like minute what one, two, three of our mm -hmm. movie. You you'll get to see the Hulk. It's not like you know you don't wait forty minutes to see the Hulk. So there's going to be a lot of Hulk and a lot of action in the movie. That's why it's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> Probably getting this a lot, but uh, just uh, there's been a lot of buzz about Ed Norton not being happy with how the movie's going. There's recently a statement from him saying he's totally happy with the movie's going. So I was curious to hear from you guys which side of the story it is. Well, the statement, I mean, is the most recent uh, is the most recent thing, and he did put that together himself, and I think showed his support for the movie. He did a great job in the movie. He did a great uh, rewrite of the script, which is the movie that we're all going to see. So I think it's uh, I think it it sort of spoke uh, to itself that statement. You know what it is? You have girlfriends, right? What? <laughs> You're gonna make them mad. You're gonna make them mad. Now, well, you know when you get into a fight with your girlfriend, it's nothing. It's like when you put the, the frying pan here, nah, nah, nah. and then you know you fight for a little bit, and then afterwards you're like, yeah, I'm angry at you, I'm angry at you, but you don't remember what you what started the thing. That's pretty much you know what happened <laughs> quite fast, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know the press, a certain kind of a press, you know, goes, the frying pan argument with your girlfriend doesn't end up in uh, yeah, no, exactly, yeah. It doesn't end up <laughs> in the news. In the news, well, does it? They love that. They, they love. You know, no, they actually love that. It's, it makes for a good story, but yeah. it's, it really is not a good story. He did a great job. He's a great Bruce Banner, yeah. and that's and ultimately it's all that matters. And that's what's great about this crowd. We're going to show some stuff very soon, actually, uh, and I think they're going to go crazy for it because that's all that matters is what's up there on that screen. So the lesson is you don't, you wouldn't like Ed Norton when he's angry. No. Or when you put the frying pan in the wrong place. Don't give Ed Norton a frying pan. <laughs>